0: Hey guys, welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blown with Montel, and I'm so excited about having my guest on today. My guest earned his bachelor's degree in science and mechanical engineering from UC Santa Barbara. He has a master's of science in aerospace engineering and a PhD in structural engineering from UC San Diego. He co-authored the California bill AB-220, allowing Northern Lights Music, no, I'm sorry, Northern Nights Music Festival, which he co-founded to be the first legal cannabis sales and consumption event and paving the way for the future events in California. He's a co-founder and COO at One Log Cannabis Business Park and a compliance officer at Mesh Ventures. He serves as a chief operating officer at Backbone. Peter Houston, thanks so much for being a part of Let's be blunt with Montel today, sir.
1: Thanks for having me. Honored.
0: Absolutely. No, it's an honor to have you. You have such a really impressive, diverse background, um, educational background. It just seems like uh, kind of crazy. Tell us about your work. First of all, let me talk a little bit about your work. You work with NASA, correct, in an aerospace engineering program?
1: Yeah, I uh, was... uh in the test, you, you'd be surprised when the spaceships go up, how much money we spend on the windows. So why? So that the astronauts can look out the windows. Uh, so it works a lot on that stuff. But yeah, it's been an interesting ride. I can, I'm definitely happy to kind of share that ride.
0: But that's kind of it's an uh, an interesting ride, but it seems like an odd ride when it comes to traditional to the cannabis industry i mean what what got you what made you decide to transition from traditional engineering into cannabis
1: well i mean i guess put it this way right if you look at traditional engineering you look at the way the world works the equations of motion equations of thermodynamics and trying to model what really happens in real life uh you know i think what right now i'm just modeling weed so uh you know that's the, the kind of the analogies um, that come with it. But I know that you were also uh, you had some uh, uh, you were some military background yourself.
0: Well, I have military background. My my degree is from the Naval Academy in general engineering. So I just thought it was interesting though that you uh, transitioned from engineering into being a candidate. Have you always been a cannabis enthusiast?
1: Yeah, I'd say from when I was 16, uh, I figured out that I wanted to have math and science first and second period, and that let the rest of the day happen. Um, so yeah, absolutely.
0: Right. Okay. So now let's talk about what was your first foray into cannabis? Um, I
1: think very classic, right. It was, you know, older siblings from one of your best friends who hanging out, uh, you know, uh, started to really kind of, you know, it was a break for me, really started to enjoy it. And then I think the big thing that happened was we started going to reggae on the river, um, in high school.
0: Oh, okay, what years were you going to regular river? I I spent a couple of years up there myself.
1: Uh, this would have been early 2000s.
0: Same here. I was up there early two thousands. I probably was there. I think oh, two thousand three, two thousand four. Spent those two years up there.
1: So see, you had a navy background. You were you were parting parting up at regular on the river, and now you're in weed too. We got a lot of similarities there.
0: I come absolutely. But what got you into the weed business?
1: Well, after uh, school, I was post for a year, and look, I was working on, you know, our nuclear arsenal during the Cold War. Um, My master's was really, like, someone decided that, hey, we built a bunch of nuclear weapons really, really fast. Like, someone want to check in on those things and see how they're doing, and so it worked on that. Then I worked on the DDG-1000, the new Navy destroyer, um, and was working on the effects of blast, and it was all fine and dandy, um, but at during my postdoc when i received i wrote a really big dissertation on how much money the navy could have saved um on their designs and then i got you know during the postdoc i got a, a note back that said thanks for the work we've already built the ship we were just trying to cover our tracks and so um you know it wasn't necessarily the best you know dinner conversation you know yes we're trying to do some protection and everything else but we had been throwing uh, events you know for a long time just little events but we were promoters both in san francisco and san diego and uh, reggae on the River in 2009, um, they, you know, they call them the Reggae Wars up there. Uh, people got greedy and, uh, you know, it stopped. And so that was our kind of home base for a long time. And so, you know, 10 years of school, I still had an itch to throw the biggest party possible. And so we went back up there and found the landowners where the Reggae on the River site was happening. And um, we said, if we want to do this. And we got permits for it. And in 2013, uh, we threw our first small, it was small at that time, like 600 people, event called Northern Knights. Um, And it's an interesting location, right? Cause it's right on the border of Mendocino and Humboldt County. Um, So you've got kind of right smack in the middle of the Emerald Triangle. And so as the event grew over the next couple of years, and we're talking 14, 15, 15 is when legalization really started to kind of take place. And when you're sitting up there in the Emerald Triangle um, and you know, a lot of the people who would come and help us build the festival, they they were Reed Mountain, local boys, local, you know, farmers who would come down and help us and help us figure it out. And so uh, they, when legalization come, they start saying, Peter, you get these permits for your festival in these two counties. Can you help us get our weed permits? And I said, why not? Right, sounds interesting. And So that's that's kind of where it began.
0: And I mean, nobody had done that. Let me ask you, were people permitted to sell weed during the, uh, you know, your predecessor, you know, reggae?
1: During reggae? No, I mean, you know, up there, everyone kind of turned, you couldn't really do much. But around the 2012, 13s, 14s, the Emerald Cup was happening, right? And there was this whole idea of the 215 zone, right? And so the 215 zone was this, you know, it was this, but if you had a friendly sheriff and you had a friendly, everyone would say, you know, that's the medical area. So we tested that out a few years. Um, but, you know, that's not scalable more than you're kind of off into the corner. And so it was, I think, I believe it was about 2017. Um, and Saul Ibrahim and Martin Kaufman, they're kind of, I would say, legends in the Bay Area um, uh, cannabis space. Um they were close and they had been looking at the fox theater for a long time and wanting to do something there cannabis related and they're you know everything music up in northern california goes back to bill graham right if you really look at everything and so you know and all his predecessor all his descendants are now the owners of another planet and outside lands and so outside lands was always you know they're their own independent event they had wanted to do this too they had wanted to figure it out san francisco being progressive and so We joined forces and we basically worked on AB 2020, which was how do we um, sell weed at non-fairgrounds? You got to remember when legislation came out, the state's like, well, we own the fairgrounds, so we'll just say it's okay at the fairgrounds. But that left all private property. You couldn't sell cannabis. And so we did the work to get AB 2020 passed, which allowed private venues if the local jurisdiction permitted it for you to go ahead and sell cannabis just like a beer garden
0: at an event
1: at an event in private property
0: and these are specific licenses for the event specific event not some duration period uh it's
1: it's it's actually you can have a total of three days in a row the way that it was written so it kind of worked out for the festival we got to remember when they structured that first bill and you're talking about a fairground right you're talking about these kind of high times cups and emerald cups that are kind of they never really thought about it because the, as concessionaire like you would at, for alcohol, right? So we essentially grabbed that framework and said, well, let's see if we can tweak it to be a, more of the concessionaire model.
0: Um, so now you have the Northern Nights Music Festival is a regularly annually scheduled event?
1: It is. I mean, outside of, you know, this, this current, current time right now. It is uh, a third weekend of July every year. It's uh, eight thousand people for four nights, Um, and it is—it's a blast. We partnered with Corin Capshaw, uh, Red Light Management, um, who who've been great partners to us. And um, yeah, it's been—you know—it's—it's up and coming uh, in the sense that we always kind of really, you know, try to focus on you know everything except for reggae. Put it this way, I still got a lot of respect for that event. And when they say, "Hey, you get all the other music genres." I, that's pretty fair. <laughs> right. right. Um
0: and, and, and so yeah, that would go ahead. No, I'm so saying I it's really interesting because I I'm sorry, I, I have been ignorant to, and didn't know that this was going on.
1: Yeah, well, see what happened in, in 2019, we so outside lands is two weeks after Northern Nights. So Outside Lands got a fun of press. We were always super involved with the team there at Outside Lands for Grasslands, but we did a dry run at Northern Nights two weeks beforehand. Um And it's a trip, man. It's, you know, you got to remember when you're selling alcohol at events, you have, you know, uh, you've got uh, bars and gardens all over your festival, right? At every stage, pop-ups everywhere. Um, But with cannabis, right, especially this first year, you get, you got to go into the corner, right? And you get one little area um, and it was all a test, man. It was, um, it was wild. It, It was, it was really interesting, you know, and also like the sponsorship models, um, you know, it's all different because, you know, you're bringing in product for the first time. So it's it, there's a lot of logistics that, you know, people might think it's like alcohol, but it's a whole nother animal with this and type of regulation.
0: Each individual distributor or each individual who is providing the cannabis has to be licensed and get a little license for that event
1: correct and what we did though we did a little bit of a different model we did more of the concessionaire approach so if you look at the emerald cup and high times and those type of events right all of the vendors have all of the licenses and they all show up the way that we did it we say one distributor one retailer right you're the master and then outside of the event you bring in everything to the distributor and that single distributor comes in and then you got one retailer so uh, it was only two licensees per se but then you got the brands who are out there. You have to have a licensed retailer as the employee, and it gets real dicey, right? So um, we, we learned a lot. I think the BCC Bureau of Cannabis Control learned a lot as well. They were, you know, we, we, we went right with them. We were hand in hand. I remember that guy coming in right at when doors opened, um, and he just sat right into the distro container, sat down, probably an ex-cop, and says, hey, I'm going to be here all weekend. Wow,
0: just making sure you comply.
1: Yeah, I mean, they were learning, right? This has all been a learning experience in California legislation. They've all known that. They've been really, really cool about it. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, that was really, that was like a big piece of all of this. But throughout all in the background, I started getting all these permits for all of these local growers up north and really started to understand kind of the nuances because, you know, you're getting licenses, but you're getting licenses for who? okay well then you're getting into starting a business for them then you're getting into the finances of it all so it was a it it was a long journey i did you know and then and then slowly kind of continued forward um you know uh, a couple other my buddies wanted out of the tech world and said peter what are you doing up there i want in um and you know bought a small farm um started to kind of figure out the cultivation side of things and then really the big thing that happened montel was that when What we started to realize is that when the weed leaves the farm you don't get much information back back in the day anyway other than your price point right and maybe you know it was fire right or some sort of comment around that um but then how does that really help the farmer know that hey man in your appellation and the way that you grow uh it sells a top dollar and a co2 cartridge right so that was kind of the gap that we uh, identified early on was that you know there wasn't really supply chain systems, right? It was back in the day, if you remember 2014 Colorado, it was a medical retail shop and that's all they were doing for medical. And then all of a sudden they said, well, you got a warehouse in the back. Well, why don't you tag all the plants too, right? Who cares what happens in between because it's all enclosed. But then when all of a sudden there's a supply chain and there's moving parts and all of these pieces, it's like, hey, maybe it's kind of only in cannabis do, you know, manufacturers, processors and distributors use cultivation software. I don't know what other industry you do that in. So um, that was kind of when we realized and, and we, um, you know, started really started to invest and, and go deeper into the, you know, the center of the supply chain.
0: And is that where you're the chief operating officer for Backbone? What, tell me a little bit about what Backbone is.
1: Yeah, so um, here, put it this way. We were running trim up and down the state back then, doing splits with manufacturers, right? And what the split was is someone, you know, it's not everyone was cash-heavy, but they were product-heavy. So you go to an extractor, you drop off your trim, you come back a few weeks later, and they say, give you a jar and a handshake. And they say, I promise you that's 50%. And it's kind of like you're sitting there kind of scratching your head a little bit. Like, okay. Um, so uh, I, that's when we said, look, there's an opportunity here. Um, we started a venture firm called Mesh Ventures, um, really sp- specifically focused on the center of the supply chain, manufacturers, distributors, and brands. And we were looking for software. There was nothing to be found. So that's when we tapped our CEO now, Rajesh Chandran. Uh, Rajesh is somewhat of a legend in Silicon Valley. Um, not only has he been a very successful uh, overall just entrepreneur, um, but he actually was head of analytics 20 years ago at a company called NetSuite, um, which of course is Oracle's kind of really big ERP. Um, at that time, he had, this 20 years ago, he had said to the guys at NetSuite, he said, guys, like we got to get a system for the operators, like something that doesn't require 20 people to operate, it's something that's accurate, boots on the ground ready. And NetSuite said, nah, we don't, we're not going to do that. So luckily for us, he had an early exit uh, at his previous startup. And we said, hey, Rajesh, that thing that you wanted to build a NetSuite 20 years ago, let's do it for cannabis and hemp. They need it right now. So he grabbed a couple all-stars from Silicon Valley, the, from Sage Intact, from Intuit, who builds QuickBooks. And they came up to the Emerald Triangle and they started, uh, as I say, what developers do, they're really good bartenders. They sit there and they listen to all your problems. And you just talk about them and they ask you more questions. And so for the past, you know, from there, what happened really was word of mouth. We started to test with all of our really network. We hadn't done any marketing and just started to talk to operators, get the systems going. And then, you know, more and more operators said, Hey Peter, uh, you know, I, you know, I work with you guys. Like this sounds really cool. Like you guys are going to start supporting all of these different operations. And so now, um, you know, for the past, three years, essentially a team of us operators have been training this team in Silicon Valley and what a batter and a shatter and a fractionized CBD is, um, and all of the pieces of the puzzle. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's incredible to be able to see all of these operations in different places. I can't tell you the difference between a, you know, heavy duty extractor in Arcata who's been doing this for a long time versus right now you go to Tennessee Right. And someone's flipping their crop and they're turning on processing in Tennessee. Like it's. Yeah. So that's that's kind of how we, we we've come to be.
0: Gotcha. Unbelievable. So you are you operating in multiple states now? or Multiple, multiple countries.
1: Um, we are. Yeah, across. We are across all over um, the country. Um, we're in Canada um, the, we're in Israel. Uh, soon to be Columbia, Portugal. We're actually the only approved system outside of Ecurna and Ample Organics in the Caribbean right now in St. Vincent. Um, So we've been, look, the big thing that's happening right now is that a lot of the seed to sale and a lot of the systems, there's kind of two classes that are out there for cannabis right now. You've got your classic seed to sale legacy systems, which are light. They help with some of the compliance stuff. And then you've got these monster overbuilt ERPs that are just, you know, so there's nothing really in the middle. And so what we've done is we've kind of found that look, federal legalization, whatever you want to call it, right now, uh, there's going to be a whole new set of regulators. And when I say that, I mean the FDA, the DEA, right, with as this stuff. And you know, the world is starting to transact right now, right? you they're transacting cannabis right now, so you got to have a little bit of a deeper understanding of the cannabis industry first and foremost, because cannabis is such an amazing plant that when you harvest cannabis you know this, well, you know how many thousands of different directions a pot plant can go and get and create, right? Um, and so that's, that's where we're at. We're, pre- we're preparing for global trade and we're just kind of helping folks really model their own processes, right? And that's the name of the game here. It's all boots on the ground. Cannabis and technology have not blended, but they're both cultures, right? And so I think we were at a really interesting opportunity here to kind of you know, showcase cannabis culture not for what it has been in the past, but that it can be an agricultural uh, crop. But that's not treated. Uh, I don't know. There's a there's a there's a new way that cannabis can kind of showcase how how agriculture can be done, um, and we're just trying to big that up and big up this industry
0: right now. Got you. Look, well, I can take a little break, pay some bills, and uh, when we come back, let's talk a little bit about your. Um, One Log Cannabis Business Park. What is that? Is that a different company?
1: It's part of the story, yeah.
0: Part of the story. Okay, let's talk about that when we come back. We'll take a little break. And we've been talking to Mr. Peter Houston, and he's a part of Let's Be Blonde with Montel. Take a little break. We'll be back right after this. Thanks so much for tuning in. To Let's be blunt with Montel. My guest today earned his Bachelor's of Science in Mechanical Engineering from UC Santa Barbara. He has a Master's Degree of Science in Aerospace Engineering and a PhD in Structural Engineering from UC San Diego. He co-authored California Bill AB-2020, which allows for the Northern Nights Music Festival, which he co-founded, to be the first legal cannabis sales and consumption event and paving the way for future events in california he's a co-founder and coo at one log cannabis business park and the compliance officer at mesh ventures and serves as a chief operating officer for backbone peter houston thanks so much for being a part of the show today sir
1: pleasure being here Montel.
0: absolutely let's talk a little bit about this one log give me the title of that again it's it's
1: one log house. So, get this. We are, uh, we're, you know, we're, we, we had, we bought a farm. I can't tell you, don't ever buy a farm with no water source in the hills of southern Humboldt, but I'm sure everyone's realized that at this point. Um, right. But we made that happen. And, uh, you know, the Northern Nights Music Festival was happening right on the border there of Mendocino and Humboldt. And so, what happened was uh, the hiss if you go up there and you drive up the 101, you're going to see, you know, tchotchke shops for lack of a better term, right? It's wood and dolls and bears and elves and Bigfoot and all the things you'll see on that highway. Well, one of the places right at the entrance to Reggae on the river is called the one log house. And why is it called it? It was a coffee shop, but it had this giant cut down uh, the first kind of mini miniature home. That's all popular right now, but it's, and so it sits on the side of the freeway as a tourist attraction. Um, legislation is coming out. We're looking at zonings for different properties and maybe how we can kind of expand into more a commercial setting. And this property comes on the market. Um, I took a deep, really good analysis of what was going on there. Um, and the, the guy who was selling it didn't really realize it either, but he had been trying to subdivide his property and he got stuck in a rezone. And so he's two years into this rezone. And I, we say, wait a minute, he's already two years ahead of the rezone. if we just catch it right now and put it to the right zoning we can get all of the permits at this property so we grabbed it um, and we started applying for them and so uh, essentially now we've got we inherited a tchotchke shop so we still got the tchotchke coffee shop Um, but then we've put in a nursery a mixed light and outdoor cultivation manufacturing distribution and retail um, all separate Uh, we kind of took the Amsterdam approach shout out Kevin Jodry for his guidance on uh on this one he says Peter look you guys got grandmas and kids coming in this coffee shop you can't just make the whole thing a dispensary right it's it's classic so we took the Amsterdam approach and we put the dispensary in the back of the coffee shop right and so um it's been it's been a trip uh the the team that we've kind of helped build this property What happened is actually you fast forward a little bit. uh, You know, my partners there, Parker Burling and Ian uh, Habanick. We met Burner along the way. And Burner says, man, you guys know what you're doing. Like, like respect. And we said, respect to you, bro. Like, what's up? How can we help? And so you fast forward a little bit now, Parker and Ian are now VP of finance and president of cookies alongside Burner and helping scale that one log. The nursery now is now the library for all of the cookies genetics that we've been scaling. And now it's a testing ground now for new cookie strains that are coming out um, and also kind of a central hub there for uh, folks for distribution, for folks in like Northern Arcade and Northern Humboldt who want to push their products south. So, yeah, it's been quite the trip but now that we have our software company too we get to test things out as well because we have all of the licenses there so we've kind of got this training ground Um, and then recently right now what's going on is we've worked we're working with uh, meadow who's a pos a company trim a cultivation uh, company and ourselves um, and working with green flower media as well to try to go ahead and create a uh, workforce program up there where we can train folks um, in cannabis technology systems um, so they can get out there um, into the real world. So, it's yeah, it's uh, not a side project, but it's been, it's been a nice ride.
0: Well, you've been working with and helping to you know, get advice to entrepreneurs and uh, to obtain various types of licenses. What would you say is the greatest challenge in the licensing process right now?
1: I'd say it's one thing to um, get a license, right, and check all the boxes. Um, it's another thing to actually operate it right you you're going to apply for a permit and you're going to say all of these i will i will i will right and you get a permit because you said you would now all of a sudden you have to do all of those things that you said you were going to do and i can't tell you right like especially in the cannabis industry you know we're making things like edibles and ingestibles and things that you inhale and the cannabis industry isn't that used to that cleanliness of a facilities and operating like that. It's just it's it's been underground. So I think um, that's been the biggest change is people starting to realize that look, this is a wanna say pharmaceutical grade, but this is a real deal regulated place where you gotta wash your hands and COVID's actually almost probably made everyone like uh, the regulators stoked because they're like, oh, man, everyone's actually putting up hair nets and washing their hands and wearing masks when they're doing. So I think that's the biggest challenge has been the realization that, you know, this can be a real industry, guys, but you got to take it seriously.
0: Well, when you're we talking about this, would be a real industry. I mean, you've been doing a lot of work in upgrading the science level behind the back end of this. But what do you think about this brand new administration that we have that's just come to office? who claims to be you know, the purveyors of science, yet we've got a president of the United States who's six months ago said that cannabis is still a gateway drug. And you have a vice president who, as AG, ensured that the level of incarceration in California was highest in the country for multiple years while she was there. Uh, what do you see happening in the cannabis industry now that we have this new administration? Well, I think
1: more to your point of what you said about the science, right? And where I think we're all aware of the famous University of Mississippi and their their mids, mid factory uh, out there that they've been testing and trying to, you know, that's been. So um, I think the biggest thing that's going to happen is I don't know if anyone's been watching, but the DEA is now going to be issuing uh, research permits. And so I think that if those are actually done correctly or at least in this new era of cannabis so i don't you know i think we have we, we might finally be in the position to actually gather market data to prove to the administration so that they have a leg to stand on with the science we do we don't have that data yet federal data if you will
0: we've got some we've got data coming in from all around the world i mean i think what like two weeks ago there was a double a peer review uh published document talking about the fact that you know certain cannabinoids and Um, Some of the phytocannabinoids have a much more superior anti-inflammatory response in the lungs of COVID patients. We've seen information that's been published from around the world and that seemed to not break through. So do you guys have intention or the intention to do some lobbying and some testimonies so that you can finally start educating these people in Washington, D.C.?
1: Absolutely. Right. And I think it's fear. Right. It's like going to be what you know, I think it's not just proving the effects of it, but to prove that you can actually control it and like, like have regulation around it. So I'm with you. The science has been out there. But when you've got folks like the DEA saying what's going to be okay with controls, controlled substances, I'm not sure how much, you know, third party research papers from other countries the DEA cares about.
0: Right, but then at the same time, you've got the, uh, the DEA that has you know research that is actually on file in the United States, and you know, the government just extended its own patent on CBD. So it's right. not like there's not information that they don't know.
1: Right, that's fair. I, 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 you know what? I mean, you bring up a really good point. And I mean, I guess right, like who who's leading that charge in the administration? Who is this going to be? Who's the candidate? Who's most uh? Qualified right now, would you say, to be that person to lead that charge in our the new administration?
0: I don't think we have anybody in the new administration on the, in in the ranks so far, rank and file, that's qualified in any way, shape, or form to lead. Maybe
1: the, that's the starting point.
0: We got to try to figure out how we get one, but we need people like yourself and others in the industry. Because I've been I've been been beating this up, and I've been involved in this industry since two thousand one, and. You know, I've been testifying before state legislatures across the country, helping to move forward initiatives in the medical space. But at the same time, I watch an industry that spends so much time tripping over itself trying to battle the B2B issues rather than battle the B2C issues. And that's educating the consumers, educating, you know, the end users. What do you see is going to happen in the next couple of years?
1: I think that there's, you know, I think with the rest of the states coming online right now, I mean, you've been seeing in the news since, you know, very recently, right? Everything's coming online right now. I think with when those big with the New Yorks and the Floridas and those places really start to come online. And then I also think with the amount of revenue potentially that the South can get from hemp, right, to start right now and people start really acknowledging the business aspects of it, right? Uh, we've been in this for a long time, right? What actually needle would be, right? It's business, right? And lobbying and that type of stuff. So maybe we got to prove to them that there's tax revenue to be collected.
0: Not not to, not to argue with you just for argument's sake, but you take a look at what just happened in California. This asinine rule, it just was, is getting ready to, to change the rules for marketing and advertising. You can't you even put you know billboards up on... You know, interstate commerce routes. And, you know, you look at, was it South Dakota that's trying to overturn the will of the public? I mean, you look across this country, and as much as there are those who say and claim that, you know, states are excited about the revenue, and we recognize the fact that cannabis was the only, you know, recession proof industry in this entire country in the last year. Even with that being said, you have these people who are just haters for hating's sake. How do we overcome that?
1: I I think back to your point on the science, man. I mean, we're not doing ourselves a favor by having operators going out there right now and doing cannabinoid conversions from THC to CBD. You know, that like totally puts people on their like, excuse, like we thought we had a grasp on this and all of a sudden, like we're like flipping the script on Delta 8s and fractionizing these things right like there's so much science to be done i feel like the industry keeps pushing forward but the regulators keep saying wait i didn't think about that wait how are we going to regulate that so it's kind of a catch-22 we're not going to stop uh you know uh, creating and inventing and doing new things so i think there's a careful balance there um on almost research versus commercial right maybe is really what we're missing here
0: right Right. But I guess we need more scientists like yourself and more people out there who are really the leaders and the forefront of this thing, telling more of the story.
1: And empowering more of so those stories to be told. Right. I think that's the biggest thing that we want here at Backbone. Right. It's 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 not about us. Right. We're I think it's really about our are the people that we're supporting. Um, and I think that's those stories. Right. And I kind of said it earlier on, like, what does a, you know, hemp farm in Tennessee a um you know gmp processing facility in portugal and a you know small farm up in southern Humboldt. um how are those related right um and and trying to kind of tie the pieces together to everyone's individual story right now i think that's going to be the biggest thing it's got to come from the
0: people man gotcha what do you hope to see happen in the cannabis industry let's say this next year
1: research, I think that with the, I think research, I think with the more states opening up and more data coming through, um, that's our biggest weapon that we have right now to get to kind of push forward right now. So I just hope that all of this information that we have can be used for good and not just used to push us down. Right. I think that's my hope is that all of this information coming through um, and if people can really try right now to you know i don't want to say misbehave because you know everyone is cannabis everyone's doing their thing but um you know i think that's the biggest thing is like if we can prove what i would hope is that we continue to prove that we're good this can be done correctly and we're not hurting anybody um so that would be my hope is that you know we take a few more steps forward um not backwards
0: and what's next for you in the business sir
1: I the next thing for me right now is we are uh, I'm, we're kind of building a cannabis ERP now. We didn't set out to do a full-fledged system, but now that there isn't any um, really people doing what we're doing, I think our next step is to uh, most exciting for me is to do international transactions, to be honest. Um, I'm excited to empower and enable international trade.
0: We're starting to see a little bit of that right now. I mean, I know that the DEA has been authorizing some international cultivars to come in so that they can be worked on and tested and and, uh, research can be done on them. So uh, are you working on that end?
1: You better believe it. I can't tell you how many uh, the word fractionized right now is just in the top of my brain, man. People are doing a lot of wild things right now. and. Um, you know, it's so, yeah, absolutely. Like that's right where we want to be right now um, is just preparing everybody for what's to come.
0: What's next for Northern Nights? You think it'll be back this night, maybe this summer? or next summer?
1: Man, we've, we, uh, I, you know, I think 2022, I'm starting to see the smart people are just announcing 2022 right now. I think it's a little bit inappropriate, especially our size event out like, uh, you know, without proper facilities, if you will. Right. I could see like smaller venues that have really nice facilities and everything else. So, you know, maybe a 2000 person glamping event, right. If we're lucky this year. Um, But, you know, it's, I think 2022 is is what's next and, you know, we continue to to push forward where we can um, virtually from there.
0: All right, sir. Well, thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with tell today. I tell you, anytime you have any information you want to share with us, you always have a home here if you want to come back, okay?
1: I appreciate it, man. And, and, you know, to tell you just very, very honored, appreciate all the work that you've done. I can tell you right now, I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for the work that you have been doing all these years and opening doors. And I hope that, you know, uh, what did I say? I want to be a doorstop, right? It's like you've been opening doors. Now let's hold the door open for everyone else.
0: It's holding the door open for everyone else. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today, Peter Houston. And, you know, you've been tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Make sure you pay attention. If people want to get some information from you, where do they go, Peter?
1: Go to BackboneIQ.com, uh, NorthernNights.org, um, and uh, OneLogHouse.com.
0: So make sure you tune into the next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.